Thank you, worship team. Again, Michael and yes, and all of you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in Gospel according to St. Luke, 10th chapter. And I'm going to ask you, we're going to read verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through, through 42. Man. Very familiar story, familiar passage that I, I believe has a word for us that's rele relevant for us today. Those of you who are joining us online, we're glad you're with us. I wish you could be here with us in person. It's such a wonderful, beautiful, awesome crowd that we have today. So glad to see all of you. I wish I could see your whole faces. <laughs> But most of you have the mind, I understand, so we, but it's good to see you. Amen. It's so good to see you and to have you here. I know the day is coming, and we'll, we will be able to see each other's whole faces again, and we look forward to that day. Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42. You get there, you'll find these words. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Amen. From this familiar story, I want to preach from this thought, that one needful thing. That one needful thing. Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. Y'all going to help me talk about that? Yeah. You know I need you to help me talk about that. I don't want to have to talk about that by myself. <laughs> amen, amen. So let's talk about that. That 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 one needful thing. I, I don't I don't know about you, but I don't want my doctor to also be my lawyer. I just don't, I, I don't think that, I, I, I don't think that way. In other words, I don't want to go in for a serious medical condition and have someone sitting beside me in the waiting room who's waiting to see him for a traffic ticket. That just wouldn't sit well with me. At the same time, at the same time, I don't want my lawyer to also be a dentist. So that when I go to see him or her about a serious legal matter, there's someone sitting beside me in the waiting room who's waiting to get a root canal. That's just, that's just too much going on there. 
That's, that's that, what, what that is. That's somebody trying to do too much. That, there, that re, the result of that is that there is no focus. I need my situation to have primacy. I need whatever I'm going through to have to, to be to be uh, of utmost importance. I need there to be focus on that. And when there is just somebody who's trying to do too much, there is no focus. I even hate it when my barber is on the phone in a heated conversation while he's cutting my hair. Now, I'm going to just tell you, shout out to my barber. He might be watching this morning. Anthony Smith is one of the best barbers in all of this, in this whole city. And he, I don't have that issue with him, but I've had barbers in the past. And I could be in the chair getting the hair cut worn, and they're just going on and on and on with their wife or whoever, and just, just, just in a heated conversation while trying to cut my hair with one hand and talk on the phone with the other. I don't like that. I need you to get my line right. I need my edge up to be good. I need my fade to be right. So I need some focus. You, you're trying to do too much. But let, let them call you back once I get up out of the seat. I, I don't like that. Uh, I think it's, when, when I think about it, I think it's what noted author and leadership, leadership guru Stephen Covey was dealing with in his book entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People when Covey said the main thing is that we keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, it, that's what Covey says. He said the main thing is that we keep the main thing the main thing. In the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches on this concept uh, as it relates to our allegiances. When he says in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says you can't serve God and mammon. It's impossible to focus on both. Then at the end uh, of that passage in chapter 6, he sums it up in verse 33 when he says this. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. He says, that is the main thing. And then James, I like what James, James says about it. He says it, he says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 8. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It, it, it's difficult to function in life if your mind is centered on as a focus too many things. It's hard to do that. So in today's text, from Luke chapter 10. Luke offers us a lesson on this same subject using real people to make the point. That's what we get. We get a lesson using, using real characters to make a point. The characters in this lesson are, are two sisters. Their names are Martha and Mary. They are also sisters to Lazarus, you remember, and they live in Bethany which was situated about two miles just east of Jerusalem. The story seems to have no 
intro or segue. It's interesting. If you read uh, uh, the, the, the prior to this story and after it, 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 it's interesting because there's no lead up to the story of Martha and Mary. There's no segue seemingly that, 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 that puts us into this story, that leads us into this story, and there is no introduction to this story. It just seems, on the surface, it seems to be dropped in between the parable of the Good Samaritan in verses 25 through 37 and the Lord's Prayer in chapter 11. Verses one through three. It just seems to just fall in between there with no introduction, no segue, nothing that that leads us into it. It seems to be out of place, actually. That's at first glance. At first glance, it seems to be out of place. But I believe it's there for a reason. I believe that what's going on is that this story is a continuation of the lesson Jesus just taught in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Because you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, the parable goes a little bit like this. A man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and while he was on his way down, he fell among thieves. They stripped him and robbed him and left him wounded half dead. Several men passed by, but only, and several of them were religious men, but only the non-religious Samaritan was the one who stopped to see about him. You remember the story, how it started. It started because a lawyer challenged Jesus in his teaching. And Jesus said, well, what do you think? How do you think it is that one would enter into the kingdom of heaven? And the man said that, he, that you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Jesus says, this is true, and love your neighbor as yourself. You remember the lawyer said, well, who is my neighbor? And that's when Jesus launches into this parable. I submit that I believe that the story of Martha and Mary, although it seems to be out of place, is nothing more than the, than the continuation of the lesson that Jesus teaches. And that lesson is this. The most important thing in life is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength. I believe that's why it's there. Uh, I believe Jesus is saying, don't lose sight of what's most important in life. Uh, Let me just say before we get into this story, that often when this passage is preached, it turns into a bash Martha sermon. That's what it turns into. I know we got a Martha in the house, and I already warned her this morning that this sermon is not about you. This is about the Martha in the scriptures. So don't take it personal. <laughs> but that, that's, often what, that's often what it turns into. It turns into a bash Martha sermon. We're not going to do that because Martha actually, the Martha in the scripture and the Martha in the sanctuary, actually not a bad person. She just, the Martha in the Bible, she just had some issues like we all do. Now, somebody else other than Cynthia should have said amen. (laughs) Because let me just pause right here and, and, and just hold on for a second and remind everybody sitting in here and everybody watching us online that all of us, Martha, Ricky, the Martha in the Bible, everybody in here, everybody online has some issues. Now, that's a little bit better. There's a few more of you that acknowledge that time. All of us are messed up. 
All of us have shortcomings. All of us have areas in our lives that we could do better in. So we're not going we're not going to bash Martha today. So because here, here's, the, here's the thing. Just like many of us, Martha certainly has some endearing and redeeming qualities about herself. Uh, she's a hard worker. She's a hard worker. Uh, she's a go getter. She's not lazy. Those all are endearing qualities. She cared about Jesus. Redeeming and endearing qualities. She just had issues with preoccupation and distraction. It's in verse 40. You remember what, what verse 40 says, don't you? Verse 40 says this, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She had some issues with preoccupation, Brother Kimmy, and distraction. But she, she had some things that, that she did right. According to verse 41, the other thing that, 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 that was an issue for her was she was worried and troubled about too many things. Look at 41 again. 41 says this, but the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. She had too many things going on. She was like the dentist slash doctor, like the lawyer slash doctor, like the barber on the phone. She was trying to do too much. She's trying to do too much. Uh, so, so you remember I quoted from Stephen Covey earlier from that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Here's another thing Covey says. Covey also said, if the ladder is not leaning against the right wall, every step we take just gets us closer to the wrong place faster. You got to lean your ladder on the right wall. <laughs> That's what you got to do. If you want to get where you're going, you got to do that. If not, you'll just be on your way to the wrong place and you'll get there faster. Uh, she, so so she, she, she's got some things that she does right. She's got some issues in her life that I just told you about. She's got some other issues as well. She also had a little bit of a pride issue. Because in 40, what she's actually saying is this. Look at me, Jesus. Look at how good I am. Look at what I'm doing. Look at me. She had some pride issues going on. And I just want to tell you something that you probably already know. Pride is dangerous. Pride is dangerous. And anytime one adopts a look at me attitude, they should expect that they will be quickly reminded of their limitations and imperfections. Either by somebody or by God. You're going to be, as soon as you adopt this look at me prideful attitude and air about yourself, somebody or something is going to bring you back down to earth before long. I'm reminded of a story of a true story uh, about Muhammad Ali. Story is told, it was, it was a true story that he boarded a plane one day and he sat down in first class. And as he sat down in first class, the flight attendant came through and said, uh, you need to buckle your seatbelt. She went on about her way and came back a few minutes later and noticed that Ali still hadn't buckled his seatbelt. They were taxiing out to the runway. She said, Mr. Ali, uh, you need to buckle your seatbelt. 
She went on about her way and came back again just as the plane was preparing to get ready to take off. And she noticed that he still hadn't buckled his seatbelt. She said, Mr. Ali, did you not understand what I said? Everybody in the plane needs to buckle their seatbelt. If you don't buckle your seatbelt, we're not moving. We're not leaving. We're not going to take off. And Ali looks at her and says, I don't need to buckle my seatbelt. She says... Why would you say that? Everybody on the plane has to buckle their seatbelt. Why would you say to me that you don't need to buckle your seatbelt? He looks at her and he says, well, Superman don't need a seatbelt. Ali had, was known to have the look at me attitude. He says to her, he said, Superman don't need a seatbelt. She's angry now, and she's upset now, and she's trying to do her job now, and she looks him dead in the eye, and she says to him, yeah, Superman don't need an airplane either. If you have a look-at-me attitude, sooner or later, somebody is going to bring you or something is going to bring you down to where you belong. Martha had a bit of a pride problem. She had this look at me attitude about herself. She had some Ali in her. She also was a little bit messy. She was a telltale. Now, we're not bashing Martha today. I'm just, I'm just telling you the story, right? She, she was a little messy. She was a talented. Look, look in verse 40. Uh, not only does she say, look at me, she then flips it around and she says, Jesus, not just me, but look at her. Look at what I'm doing, but look at what she ain't doing. I know that's not proper English, but you have to excuse me. I'm from North Tyler. <laughs> look, at what, look at what I am doing and look at what she ain't doing. She was a little messy. She was, she was trying to get... Uh, Mary in trouble. Look at her. But we're not bashing Martha. Martha, by the way, is where most of us are. Most of us have some Martha in us. Most, a whole lot of us have a whole lot of Martha in us. But Mary is where we need to be. Although Martha has endearing qualities, she has some redeeming qualities and characteristics about herself. Ultimately, we need to be more like Mary. Mary is what we need to be. Jesus says in verse 42 that Mary has chosen the one thing that is needed, the one needful thing. That's what Jesus says in response to Martha about Mary. She's chosen the one thing that's needed, the one needful thing. So here's the question I know you're asking me. I can hear it. If you're not asking me this question, you ought to be. What is it? There you go. I know. I heard it. I heard you asking it. What is that one thing that's needed? What is the one needful thing? Luke tells us what it is in verse 39. He tells us that what's really needed above everything else is to be at the feet of Jesus. That trumps everything. That, 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 that overrides everything. It takes precedence. It should. In the life of the believer, that one needful thing is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6.33 when he says, But seek ye first. Luke says it this way. The one thing that's needed is to be at the feet of of Jesus. Mary of Bethany is seen 
three times in the Gospels. And each time she's seen, on each occasion that we see Mary of Bethany, she is in the same place at the feet of Jesus. Every time we see her here in Luke chapter 10, verse 39, she's at the feet of Jesus. In John chapter 11, verse 32, when her brother Lazarus had died, Jesus called for her and she fell at his feet. In John chapter 12, verse 3, she anointed Jesus' feet and wiped with her hair, with her tears and wiped it with her hair, his feet. She's always found. That's the reason why I said we need to be more like Mary. She always found her way. Everything that's written about her says that she wanted to be constantly at his feet. The phrase phrase, at his feet uh, occurs 16 times in the Bible. And when we see it, it implies an attitude of submission. That's what it implies. It implies an attitude of submission. So then I'd like to share with you at least four things that happen at his feet when we're at his feet. You know, let me let me just tell you real quickly what it means. First, it means that there is alone time with him. It means that there is quality time with him. It means that uh, you uh, submit completely to him for however long that is. I don't know how long Mary was at the feet of Jesus in this story, but I do know that she found her way there. And I want to share with you that a lot of things happen at the feet of Jesus, a lot of good things. In fact, there is nothing bad that happens at the feet of Jesus. Everything that happens at the feet of Jesus are good things. And there's a lot of things that happen when you're at his feet. I just want to share four of those things with you. Can I do that? I just want to share four. First thing that happens at the feet of Jesus is this. Juggling is negated. At the feet of Jesus. Now, I know you're saying, preacher, tell me what you're talking about. Uh, so, so here's the thing. Uh, un- as an expression in, in verse 39, the first part of verse 39, as an expression of her reverence, Mary forsook everything else and sat. Look at verse 39. The first part of it again, it says this. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet. You can stop right there. You know what that means? It means that she forsook everything else that was going on in her life. And as an expression of her reverence for Jesus Christ, she sat. Here's what I mean when I say juggling is negated at the feet of Jesus. The reality is, is that we live in a frazzled world. Things, uh, especially in 2020, I don't know where 2020 came from, but wherever it came from, it needs to go back to where it came from. We need to, we, if there was a button we could push uh, KB and rewind this thing back to January, uh, not, Jan- not even January, we could rewind this thing back to December and push play and start this thing over again. I know everybody in this room, everybody watching online would push that button right now, me included. I'd be pushing it, I'd hold my finger on it and not let it go. Because this thing is frazzled. We live, not just in 2020, but all the time, we live in a frazzled society. Often we are attempting to juggle multiple responsibilities and we're being pulled all the time in numerous directions. Somebody should have said amen. 
Because I, my testimony is that's me. I feel myself just frazzled sometimes, being pulled in a thousand different directions, juggling. We, we have become perfect. We could all be in the circus. Because we have become professional jugglers. You see the jugglers, they juggle two or three balls. We could probably, I know I could probably juggle ten. I'll be in the circus. You should too. All of us, we have become professionals at juggling. But at the feet of Jesus, juggling is no more. At the feet of Jesus. We are attempting to, to manage all these responsibilities. At the feet of Jesus, distractions are diminished. And things have a way of being put in their proper perspective. Because I don't know if you've ever had the experience of Jesus making you sit down. <laughs> I'm not talking about like Mary, she volunteered to sit. I'm talking about have you ever, you know, gotten sick? And you couldn't get up and you wish you could get out of the hospital and they wouldn't let you go and you didn't have no choice but to spend some time at the feet of Jesus. Have you ever been in a situation, maybe it wasn't sickness, maybe it was something else. Have you ever just been in a place where there was nothing that you could do but talk to Jesus? And if you have been or if you do it voluntarily, many of you get up early in the morning. Where Jerry not here today. Jerry Putman, he we joke with him. We all meet on Mondays for two or three hours and we just have quality time to brothers. And we talk. And one of the things we joke with Jerry Putman about Jerry, I always say he gets up at 530. Is that what he said, Warren? 430 to spend quality time with that ain't me. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm just. <laughs> That ain't my testimony. I spend time with him, but it's not at 430 in the morning. Because most of the time, I'm just going to bed, Jeff, at 430. I'm a night owl. And, I, you know, I, I, you know, so anyway, but, but, but the, 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 the reality is, is that we've got to, it could be voluntary. And if it's not voluntary, oftentimes the Lord will make it mandatory and that he will cause you to have to sit down and spend some time at his feet. And at his feet, what will happen is, is that suddenly all those things that you thought were important all those balls that you keep throwing in the air trying to keep them from hitting the ground all of a sudden there will those things will be no longer important and priorities will line up and all the balls will go away and there'll just be one ball you won't have to juggle anymore you'll just have that one ball to concentrate on because at the feet of Jesus juggling is nullified you don't need to juggle when you're talking to Jesus. He'll take away all those other concerns, all of those distractions seem to go away at his feet. Not only, not only is juggling negated at the feet of Jesus, also daily bread is delivered at his feet. That's what happens. At his feet. Look at 39B. This is what it says in 39B. It says this. It says, and she listened to his teaching. <laughs> she sat and listened. She didn't just sit. She listened to his teaching. Here's what Job says about this. Job in Job 23, 12 says this. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. That's what Job says about it. Uh, in, in, in Matthew's version of the Lord's prayer in chapter 6, uh, he writes this. 
give us this day our daily bread. That's what he writes in, 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 in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's version of it. says, give us this day our daily bread. It is a reference to the children of Israel as they are wandering through the wilderness with no food to eat. And God sends manna from heaven so that they can sustain themselves every day. And the Bible says that every day they woke up, there was fresh manna on the ground for them to eat. And if they didn't eat it that day, it spoiled. They needed it every day. And so in Matthew's writing, he says, he writes it this way, give us this day our daily bread. But I like the way Luke renders the Lord's prayer in Luke chapter 11, the following chapter after one we're reading. Here's what Luke says about it in his rendering of the Lord's prayer. He writes, not give us this day. Luke writes, give us each day. He says, give us each day our daily bread. And in the, King, in the King James Version of Luke 11, it says this, give us day by day. You know what it means? It means that every day, Martha, we need, we need a word from the Lord enable, and in order to sustain ourselves, in order not to starve to death. And you know what? You know what? It's delivered when we're at his feet. Is delivered when we're focused on him. His word, his daily bread is only delivered because, you know, you can just be going through life doing stuff and trying to get something from the word at the same time. And you got the TV on and the, and the cat meowing and the dog barking and the baby crying and all that. And you're trying to read, but you just ain't getting it because you're not really at his feet. At his feet is where it's delivered. Stuff need to be turned off. Distractions removed. And when we get at his feet, that's when he delivers the daily bread. Listen, Brother Sam, where's Brother Sam? Jesus is not like the mailman. He's not like the UPS driver. He's not like the FedEx driver because the mailman, the FedEx driver, and the UPS driver will deliver your package whether you're at home or not. You don't need to be there. Sometimes they don't even ring the door, especially the mailman. They just open the box, put it in there, and when you go check it, you get it. That's not Jesus. Jesus only delivers when you're at home, when you're in his presence. He needs to see you. He needs to get a signature for the delivery. And that can only happen when you're at his feet. Daily bread is delivered at his feet. Juggling is negated at his feet. But here's the other thing. Trust is communicated at the feet of Jesus. Trust is communicated. It's in verse 40. Trust is communicated uh, at the feet of Jesus. Here's what verse 40 says again. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her didn't help me. Look at what Mary did. Mary left stuff to sit at Jesus' feet. You know why she left stuff? To sit at the feet? Because she trusted Jesus more than she trusted other stuff. We have to place all of our faith, all of our hope, all of our trust 
in him. And when we do, it's exactly what he wants to see in us. He wants to recognize in us that we trust him with everything. And when we sit at the feet of Jesus, that's what he, that's what he sees. We communicate to him our trust in him. Trust in him is of the utmost importance. I'm not making it up. Y'all think I'm making it up, don't you? I know you do. I know you don't think that's in the Bible. You don't think trust in Jesus is of the utmost importance. You don't think you think Ricky made that up. I got a word for you. One of my favorites is, y'all know it, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. But I got some more. I'm not going to stop there because you may think just because that's my favorite, that's the only one in there that talks about it. Y'all know what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He'll make your path straight. That's not the only one, though. I got some more I want to share with you. Listen to to, uh, what the psalmist says about it in Psalm 118, verse 80 says, It is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in man. Right. If that ain't enough for you, I like how Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 12. He says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. That ain't enough for you. I like the way the psalmist writes it in Psalm 91. Here's what he says. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear for the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Because trusting in the Lord is important. And when we sit at his feet, we communicate to him our trust in him. This position of reverence at his feet signifies to Jesus a level of trust that says to him, I am casting all of my cares on you because I know you care for me. That's what it says. How many, most of us that have children know that it makes our heart proud when our kids come to us and express their trust in us. That maybe, we, maybe, maybe it's because they think we know what we're talking about. Most of the time it's because it, it, it's not that. Because <laughs> they think we don't know what we're talking about. But just to know that they express to us that they need us. They, they depend on us. They lean on us. They look to us. They have hope in us. They, they look all of that. It means something to daddy when son or daughter uh, comes with an issue. Even when it's money. That's the worst one. <laughs> but I know, you know, maybe my kids ain't watching this morning because I don't want to get a call like, Daddy, you preached this morning about it. But listen, even when it's that, right? We, 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 it, 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 it does something on the inside of us, especially when it's advice, when it's other things. To know for us to know. That's right. He said, amen. Oh, there you go. That was a child. I like that. That's good stuff. 
when we, when it's communicated to us that they trust us, something's going wrong. Something's bothering them. Something's happening. There's something happened at school. Somebody did this. Somebody, and they come to you. It makes you feel good to know that they trust you enough to take care of it. Sometimes they don't tell me because they know I'm liable to that liable. That's one of them North Tyler words. I'm liable to go to act. <laughs> Y'all, if you, even if you're not from North Tyler, you're liable to do it too. If they come to you with the situation, right? It, it, so our, when, we at his, when we're at his feet, it communicates our trust. When we come into his presence, the burdens of life tend to get amazingly light when we're in his presence because we trust him. So last, last thing I want to share with you about being at the feet of Jesus is this. So, so we know that, that juggling is done away with, right? We know that when we're at his feet, daily bread is delivered at his feet. Truth or trust rather is communicated when we're at his feet. Lastly, let me share, share this with you. At his feet, the search is over. The search is over at the feet of Jesus. Uh, many live their entire lives and never find their true self. Somebody should have said amen. Mary finds fulfillment in verse 42. Contentment and purpose at the feet of Jesus. 42. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. You see that? She chose uh, King James says that good part. She chose the good thing, the good portion. And in choosing it, her life is complete. The search is over. She has finally found fulfillment, contentment, and purpose. And it is found at the feet of Jesus. If you're looking for the void to be filled. If you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for potential, if you're looking for completeness to be realized, only one thing can provide it. You know, we're born with a hole. Not medically. Some are. But spiritually, all of us are. There's a hole, there's a void in there. Anybody else know that, recognize that, experience that but me? Took me many years plug that hole. There's a hole in there. And it can only be filled by what Jesus calls in this passage the good portion. That's the only way you can fill it. It can only be filled by the good portion. And once you got it, you got it. You'll never have to search for it again. The search is over when the hole in your soul is filled. Nobody or nothing can take that away from you once you have found that good part. And you know it can only be found at the feet of Jesus. I'm reminded of the popularity and proliferation of cell phones. Cell phones have become so prevalent that almost everyone uh, has one and almost no one has a house phone anymore. If you still have a house phone, I, you know, 
It's just old school. You don't want to cut the, you don't let it go. I don't, I don't want to offend some of y'all because I know a lot of y'all still do. I know you're like, well, I want to, you know, if they're looking for me off the phone, I want to trust that thing. I, you know. But if it, most people, <laughs> I'm sorry, y'all going to send me emails and text messages. Don't be talking about me, Pastor. Most people have only a cell phone now because of convenience. The convenience of a cell phone means, cell phone means that you can take it everywhere. But unlike the house phone, the cell phone has limitations on its time of use. It has limitations. House phone, you can talk on it all day and all night and nothing will happen. But cell phones require something called a charger. You have to have a charger and you have to have somewhere to plug that charger in or something bad going to happen. <laughs> Uh, there is an indicator on every cell phone that alerts the user to the level of power remaining on the cell phone. If it gets too low, it's subject to die on you. And you could lose all communication. This could even happen in the middle of a conversation. Y'all been on the phone, you hear that little do 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 that means you better hear up and finish because you in charge. It just get ready to cut off, right? Uh, the wise thing to do is to keep the phone charged by plugging into the power source as often as possible. That's the wise thing to do. If you're going to use a cell phone, keep it charged. Our power comes at the feet of Jesus. And we need to plug in as often as possible to get that needful thing that prevents us from dying spiritually in the midst of a critical call or, in other words, critical times of life. Because if your power runs out in the midst of a critical time in life, guess what? It's going to be trouble. We have to plug in to the power source and it happens at the feet of Jesus so that things don't get cut off in the middle of life. I'm, can I close with a quote from Spurgeon? Here's what Spurgeon says about this. Christ must be everything or he will be nothing. He does not love Christ who loves anything as well as Christ. Neither does he trust him who trusts in anything besides. Christ must reign alone. Jesus only must be the motto of our spirits. I'm not talking about the denomination that has that as their motto. I'm talking about that must be our motto, right? The motto of our spirits. That's what Spurgeon is saying. It is well for us, therefore, that only one thing is necessary, for only one thing is possible, and that's Jesus. There is only one needful thing in all of life, and that is that good part, that good portion, it only happens at his feet. With that, we're going to ask, amen.
We're going to ask uh, Brother Sam to come. He's going to lead us into our time of communion today. Uh, so if you don't have your elements, we ask you to get them because we'll now uh, turn it over to him as we prepare to partake of communion. <laughs> 